Hey everyone, it's Abadesi, your host of Product Hunt Radio, where I'm joined by the founders, investors, and makers that are shaping the future of tech. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Mason. He's the founder of Descript, a powerful tool for podcast creators that makes editing audio as easy as editing text. You might recognize his name from previous ventures like Detour, which was acquired by Bose, and of course Groupon, which IPO'd in 2012. Fun fact, Groupon is the first tech company I work for alongside Product Hunt Head of Operations, Emily Hodgins. In this episode, we cover how Descript came about in the pursuit of product market fit at Detour, why founders often have to make tough decisions about what to devote resources to, transitioning from early stage startup to series A, scaling teams, finding talent, and how to level up as a leader. We also hear about a product that Andrew is obsessed with right now. Enjoy. If you're running a business, you want to focus on what matters, not on figuring out your books or tax deadlines. Pilots founders struggled through the pain themselves when building their first two startups. That's why they started Pilot, the bookkeeping and tax service they wished had existed for them. When you work with them, your dedicated account manager is aided by powerful software to make sure your books are incredibly accurate for every month. Pilot is built by startup founders for founders to make bookkeeping and tax prep seamless. As a listener of Product Hunt Radio, get 20% off your first six months of Pilot Core at pilot.com slash product hunt. So, Andrew, thank you so much for being our guest on Product Hunt Radio today. Very grateful to have you here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Groupon will always hold a very special place in my heart, I have to say, because it's the very first company that I worked for in the tech industry. So this was all the way back in 2011 in the London office. And that is also where I met one of my best friends, Emily, who is head of operations at Product Hunt. We've got a real group group on alum crew going. Um, but of course, I am here to have you on the show today talking all about your current venture, Descript. This actually came about um, really like all the way back in September with the really exciting news about your fundraising round, $15 million that you'd raised, and also the acquisition of Liarbird. Podcasts are just booming. And as soon as that story broke, Ryan and the rest of the team were like, can we get Andrew on the podcast talking about what he's got planned for Descript. So finally, we have you here. Thank you so much. I thought it might be fun just to kind of start off by having you describe Descript to folks in the audience who aren't familiar with it or haven't had a chance to use it yet. Sure. So Descript is a tool for making podcasts. You can record, edit, mix, collaborate. What makes it unusual is instead of editing waveforms, every all the editing, it looks like you're just working in a word processor. So we automatically convert all of the audio into text, and then you can edit just by editing the text. We also have some uh, new science fiction features uh, that we're doing <laughs> via the acquisition of Lyrebird, a feature called Overdub that actually lets you type words and it will generate audio in your own voice and kind of blend it into both sides. That's that's currently in closed beta with the plan to do a, a public launch soon. 
Incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving us that rundown of what Descript does. Um, what I find so cool about Descript and like the origin story is the fact that, you know, we're in a time now where everyone's talking about podcasts, the podcast industry is booming. You know, we had Spotify making acquisitions of Anchor and Gimlet. And in many ways, one might assume that you just looked ahead to this and kind of thought, okay, this is a space that's growing. I'm going to build you know, an incredible platform to let people edit podcasts and, you know, video, et cetera. But actually, if I'm not mistaken, Descript started while you were working on your other venture, Detour. Am I right? I'd love to know more about the origin story and how it actually came about while you were at Detour. Yeah, no, I, I wish that we could claim that we had that much vision, but it was a happy accident. Um, so Detour was a was a mobile audio tour app, a, a way that you could walk around the city and you would have these location-aware stories going in your ear. And half of the company was building the technology, the other half was building the content. And it was through the process, process of building this content, which was basically location-based podcasts, that we got an appreciation for how poor the tool chain was and how neglected uh, narrative media creators have have been in terms of the tools that are available to them. Um, This was right around the time that there was incredible progress happening in automatic transcription. So we thought, wouldn't it be cool if someone just built an audio editor that worked like a word processor? And uh, we found someone who was working on exactly that idea at Berkeley. We had him build a prototype. We started showing it to some people. And it just seemed like a immediate product market fit, something people had been asking for for a long time. The technology just hadn't existed. So we sold Detour to Bose, spun out Descript, and that was about two years ago that we started the company. That's incredible. If anyone's listening and has not yet watched the Descript video on YouTube that you dropped a couple months ago, I really encourage them to. It's it's incredible. And exactly as you describe, it makes editing audio as simple as editing a document. I really love all the collaborative features in it as well. In some ways, it kind of reminds me of things like Notion or Google Docs in that you can work on things as a team while editing in real life. And I, I just think that's so cool. I, I know that you mentioned how you wanted to see if this technology was available, something that could let you edit audio um, so simply. And you mentioned that you found someone who was working on this at Berkeley. Like, how exactly did that come about? Did you just kind of think there must be someone working on this problem? Let me find out who it is. I think we we Googled around and we 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 found a, a PhD student and engineer, just an incredible guy named Steve Rubin, who had published some papers along these lines. And he was still finishing his paper and or he's still finishing his PhD, uh, but we just started working together and and building prototypes and and it just it just worked out. It was just uh we 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 got really lucky. That's incredible. And you were doing all this while you were still also running Detour, am I right? This is before the Bose acquisition happened. This was kind of something that we had in our back pocket in in Detour because we 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 were over investing in it if all you would be doing, if all you were thinking about was making Detour successful, but we knew that there was a potential business here and we're treating it like something like a kind of a backup plan as as one does when you're pre-product market fit as we were in detour and you're just you're you're staying open to different paths. That's awesome. I love how honest you are about the different decisions a founder has to make um as they go through the journey and all the different things you have to consider like you just said detour 
was not at product market fit yet. So you and your team were staying open-minded to the other things that you could work on. As you know, Product Hunt community, full of makers, millions of makers all around the world, all various stages of the journey. Some are still students, some are bootstrapping, some are indie makers, some like you are going down that venture route. And I just wonder, what does it feel like? And how do you sort of navigate that difficult decision-making process of where do you assign resources when you find yourself, as you were a few years ago in Detour, trying to make Detour really successful, um, but then also exploring this other really cool idea you have that could also be successful. Is there any advice you can share for founders who might also be at a similar kind of crossroads where they're trying to... I guess weigh up the the variables of success. Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one. I've I've been through it twice. I, I went through it when we pivoted uh, the point to Groupon. The point was kind of the the original idea for what became Groupon, uh, and in that case, it was just our backs were up against the wall. We were running out of money. The idea just wasn't going anywhere. In the case of Detour, the the way that we approached it was we had protected resources that were fully assigned to work on Descript. So uh, people who were hired specifically to work on that product. And so there wasn't as much of a resource robbing Peter to pay Paul kind of situation. Then it came just down to, you know, when do you when do you cut bait? On detour and and I I don't know arguably I waited too long on that I we we tried every last possible approach that we could think of mm. and then eventually it was just like it's not supposed to be this hard you know I mean having having been through th- this before I know what it feels like when stuff is working and it felt like we were doing the most elaborate things in order to market the product and and reach customers. And at some point, it just clicked that it's not supposed to be this hard and we should move on. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. So um, I don't know if you're familiar with like Gimlet Media's podcast startup. They've obviously just sort of like wound that down to the last few episodes. And what I loved was um, their take on what it's like to be acquired. So, you know, they're very honest about what it was like, blah, blah, blah. Spotify reaching out to them, all the conversations that happened. What I found really interesting when I was doing research for this interview was that exactly as you said, you know, you had a company that was acquired, but there was also something that was developed while you're at the company that you kind of like spun out and kept and that you're still working on. Now for the makers who are listening, how hard is it to pull that off? Like how hard is it to kind of go, we're going to keep this, but you can have the rest of that. I don't know if it's easy or hard. It's just a question of whether the acquirer is interested in what you have to sell them and not the other stuff. And our our acquisition was unusual in the in the sense that none of the team went along with it. All of the team stayed with me and continued working on on Descript. So we just sold the technology to Bose and it happened to fit really nicely with the augmented reality stuff that they were that they were starting to spin up. Oh, okay, cool. Wow, that's awesome. That makes a lot of sense. So talk to us about the sort of first half of, of 2019 and how you sort of like built up to, you know, raising this round and acquiring Lyrebird. Was that sort of um, looking at the product roadmap and realizing that there were certain things that you you had to be able to do with Descript in order to serve the users? I'm curious to just get a bit more insight about the thought process from you and the rest of leadership that sort of like led up to that. 
Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll go back a little bit further to two years ago when we launched the first version of Descript. So we had been we'd been incubating Descript within Detour for a few years by the point that, that we launched it. And it was a Mac app because the technology stack at the time, that felt like the best thing to do. However, in 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 the short number of years, things changed very quickly. Web technologies had reached a point where we felt like it might be possible to build a a, a fully featured audio video workstation using web technologies and give them all the advantages of web technologies, kind of being cloud first and live collaboration. As you pointed out earlier, you know, there's been this trend of every category of tool making the jump to the cloud. And uh, and becoming collaborative and and disrupting the space in the process, uh, kind of starting with CRM, making its way to docs, now application and database development, and it hasn't happened with audio and video because of the largely because of the constraints around dealing with these massive uncompressed files. So we saw that there was an opportunity to do that, and we did something very unconventional, which is right after launching pretty much stopping to, to rebuild everything in a web technology stack. And, and we spent a year doing that. And then we spent the next year, uh, roughly speaking, getting to what we really see as our 1.0 release that we just launched. And that's our, our audio production suite. So we, we, we decided to do that because the signals around product market fit were strong enough. And and we just felt like if we didn't do this now, it was going to become increasingly difficult to do it later. Um, and there was so much potential to unlock by making, by just tools have to be collaborative to compete in this day. So um, that that's the most unusual thing that we did. And uh and yeah, and now we have this this release out and we're pretty happy with it. That's incredible. That's yeah, that's so interesting. In in many ways then would you say that, you know, two years ago it wouldn't have been possible to build the web app you have today just because of like the complexity of the product? I think five years ago when we started thinking about Detour, I don't think it would have I don't think web technologies were quite there. Uh, transcription accuracy was on the cusp. And you know, transcription is is foundational to our product. It's it, like accurate, cheap transcription, and the kind of stuff that we're doing now, like basically offering transcription for free to anyone with a subscription, is stuff that we couldn't have done five years ago, just because it would have been cost prohibitive to offer the kind of accuracy that we offer. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, pretty cool that you have it ready now, <laughs> given the pro- prolification of podcasts and all that. That's so cool. So let's talk a bit about the amazing sci-fi powers that Liarbird now brings to Descript's f- suite of features. It was pretty cool to see all the different takes uh, on this. I think there was like a Wired article that was like, you can deep fake your own voice now. Um, how did what Liarbird first get onto the Descript team's radar? Was it because you were already trying to think of the most seamless way for folks to edit audio in post-production? And then you kind of thought, wait, like, what if someone actually needs to, I don't know, correct something that was mistaken and they don't have the original file or they can't speak to that guest anymore? And then you were thinking of all the different ways to do it in-house. And then you're like, wait, there's someone already doing it there. I'm kind of just curious about how that came about. 
Yeah, so pretty much from the first time we demoed Descript to somebody and showed them how you can delete a word from the from the document and it deletes it from the audio, people would ask us, "Well, what happens when you type a word? Does it generate audio?" And so it was it was just kind of the the uh, self evident other side of the coin. And so when we saw when we saw Lyrebird launch, we were immediately excited, not just about the the product and and the quality of what they were doing, but also the ethical approach that the team was taking to these issues. And they had invested in putting some protections in place to make sure that you could only train your own voice. And so, you know, we just kept a, a watch on what they were doing and at some point had an opportunity to talk to them. And the more we talked, the more it started to feel like there had always been a lyrebird shaped hole in Descript where they were building this incredible technology and we were building the receptacle for that technology. And what we're doing with this overtub, overdub product is, is the first thing, but we are excited to introduce an, a new class of AI enabled tools that make it easier for people to practice their craft. That's amazing. I think also, you know, the fact that it becomes so much easier for makers and creators to do the work that they do is amazing. And, and really, the, the people who benefit are folks like us, you know, folks like you listening, the audience, right? Because we have um, incredible quality, authentically delivered in exactly the way the creators intended. So I, I know I, for one, am super duper excited. Another thing I wanted to chat to you about, is there such a thing as a typical day at Descript for you? A lot of the people who are listening are you know, founders themselves, leaders themselves. Um, and I was just curious, I guess you're probably entering like a new stage for the company now. Things will be growing. You'll be building out the product roadmap. I just wondered, yeah, does a typical day for Andrew exist? And if not, what are your main responsibilities that you just make sure you get done? I don't know what a typical what a typical day is, but we are definitely going through a stage right now where the, the team, including Lyrebird, is 25 people. And having just completed our Series A and launched this product, we're we're seeing a lot of growth, and we're starting to to scale out the team. And uh, if you take the the, the Lyrebird team is still based in Montreal, in San Francisco. It's been me, a designer, office manager, doing all the back office, and uh, a bunch of engineers. So I've been kind of the the person that does the other stuff, from marketing to customer support and and, and so on. And, and now post-launch, that's just not scaling. So we're trying to find ways to carve pieces of me off and create different roles around them. And I've, you know, I've, I've, I've been through this once before. It's, it's one of the harder transitions for a, for a founder, at least the first time. I hope it'll go smoother this time, where when you're, when you're small and the, a lot of what's made you successful is your ability to do things. <laughs> and as you start to scale, you have to learn to not do things and let other people do things and hire people to do those things and give them the space to do those things. So that's kind of what we're what we're starting to do now. We just hired somebody to to run engineering for us. We didn't we didn't have any other engineering management in the company before that. And now we're hiring we, we have somebody that's doing customer support and and I think the stuff that will stick with me for a while is hopefully talking to customers and and some of the product management stuff around the editor product. 
Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's funny what you said um, about reaching that stage where you're scaling and then having to really just let go and like delegate some of the things that you as a founder used to control. That seems to be a common theme that um, I see happening in a lot of the interviews that I do. And then you talk about this challenge of, you know, finding the right talent, right? Like you need someone to run engineering for you. I just wonder now that you're a few companies in to being a founder, does sourcing great talent get any easier? Do you feel you've been able to either identify any strategies tactics or or shortcuts, anything really that you feel might make you better at picking the right folks now than let's say, you know, 10 years ago? Yeah. I mean, I sure hope so. Uh, for one thing, <laughs> for, for one thing, I know what I'm, what I'm looking for, especially when it comes to hiring people in management. In a lot of companies, the, the way that people get into management is there'll be individual contributors who have great ideas and, Nobody wants to listen to their ideas because it's the people in management that get to have those conversations. So people, they say, okay, I guess I'll become a manager. And, and then they become a manager for completely the wrong reasons, not because they care about people or unlocking the, the, the best possible incarnation of their teams, but because they care about getting their ideas to be listened to. So it's actually you know quite hard to find people who 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 have got into management for the right reasons um but you know when you when you talk to them you can you can tell pretty easily it's just it's just a question of knowing what you're looking for after having made a bunch of mistakes made those mistakes in the past and and looking to avoid them so that's one thing but i mean we still or i still make mistakes with hiring and it's it's the, one of the hardest things to do yeah, that's true. I often think of it just from like the perspective of the human condition. It we are so hard to like read even at the best of times and sometimes even what we think we want. I'm thinking of this as like someone applying for a job isn't necessarily what you want because you don't know until you're doing it. And I feel like that's why there's like always a constant complexity around hiring and like finding the right person because there are always so many unknowns and until you're actually in the trenches, you don't know how you'll respond or how you'll deliver. But yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. I think that's really cool. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about, um, so in, in Product Hunt, in the makers community in particular, we start new discussions all the time. And something that seems to come up a lot is this idea of like personal development, particularly as a leader or as a founder. A lot of people uh, want to invest in continuous learning. A lot of people want to ensure that they're doing everything in their power to be the best leader they can be, support the people that they're collaborating with. I just wondered like maybe what your regime looks like or what are the things that you do to invest in yourself in case that can inspire some of the folks who are listening to try them out. Well, I, I perfected myself back in like 2014 or, or so and <laughs> just stopped it then. Um, nice. Peak Andrew Mason. <laughs> no. Uh, what do I do? I, I mean, I'm, I'm actually going to do a like intensive weekend leadership kind of seminary thing that a friend of mine recommended. It was one of those like backhanded recommendations where it's like, yeah, you should, you should really do this is. I guess means there's something deeply wrong with me. <laughs> um, so, so, so I, tr I try to do stuff like that. I, I try to read whatever, whatever uh, people recommend. I try to create an atmosphere in the company where it's easy for people to give me feedback. 
I like that. How does feedback work at Descript, by the way? This is another conversation we were having recently. Like people were wondering how often should they catch up with their teams and what different channels should be available for folks in teams to chime into stuff. So I'd love to get a bit of insight into how that works at Descript. At Product Hunt, for the record, we've all got weekly catch-ups with a line manager. Um, we use Slack for everything. We don't have dedicated, um, uh, we don't have any like dedicated internal emails to each other, anything like that. And then every Monday we have a team call, which happens on Zoom because uh, we're a distributed team. And that's where uh, we do a recap of the metrics, all the KPIs, and then folks who might be leading on a specific project that have updates to share, like a new feature we're building or whatever, get a chance to talk to the team about that. So that's kind of us in a nutshell. Curious how how you manage feedback at Descript and, and maybe how you connect as a team and collaborate. So we have a, similarly, we have a weekly all hands meeting where someone will give an update on a project they're working on. We'll talk about metrics. The only unusual thing we did, or one of the unusual things we do is we have a, we have an internal podcast and every week someone Ooh. takes a sh- shot at that. Uh, so we, we rotate and we have a theme and so it's an opportunity to dog food the app, but it's also an opportunity to learn about someone. I love that. I'm going to copy that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think more and more companies will do stuff like that. I uh, completely setting aside my my bias in the issue. It just it just it just makes a lot of sense. Other than that, I, I, look, we have we don't have this figured out I th- at, at our scale, and it's something that as we're starting to scale now, we're just now talking about what we're going to do around standardizing compensation and performance reviews and how those things are interlinked. So we're, we're actually, as we've started talking to firms to help us through that process, they're telling us that we're, we're doing it earlier than a lot of companies do, but I think it's good to get that foundation in place because otherwise it's too late. So I do, you know, one-on-ones with people probably about, about once a month, which is, which is not very much, because at this point, most everybody reports into me, um, and I'm still mostly an individual contributor w- with a bunch of senior, largely autonomous people on the team. That's mostly worked out, and that's an opportunity to to give feedback. But I think like we don't have any like software set set up or anything like that, and we'll have to figure out a better way to do all this stuff as we start to scale. Yeah, that's awesome. I think um, it it says a lot about the status quo that you know speaking to experts in you know culture and people policy telling you that you know just raise a Series A, you're actually coming in quite early. But I hope that we will shift that status quo. I hope more founders like yourself will reach that milestone and think now is the time to invest in people and culture um, because of course that's what matters and that's what's key. So very very uh, positive to hear that from you. Right. I know I've only got like a minute more of your time and you've just told me about all the busy things you have to do. Um, so before I let you go, uh, it's, you know, every product on radio episode, I ask our guests to share the products that they love. They could be the apps that are on your home screen. It might be some cool new device you just got at home. Um, but you know, we're product lovers, we're product geeks. So this is your time to tell us about an app, a site or a product that you are really into right now. There's one I've been just gaga over called uh, Retool. Do you know about Retool? Retool. No, tell yeah. me more. So Retool is a 
is an app. Like I, I've, I, I actually started out sadly as a FileMaker developer when I was a, a kind of Very early sexy. contract developer. <laughs> um, <laughs> FileMaker was one of the things that I was doing, and I've often longed for a, somebody to do a proper version of FileMaker in the cloud. And there have been a bunch of companies that are kind of circling around that idea, companies like Coda or Airtable or even Notion. But Retool is basically a, a lightweight, low-code application development framework with where you can just kind of drag components onto your screen and build internal admins and internal tools and hook up your production API and all kinds of different APIs. Very powerful and and has really been as as somebody whose job it is on the startup team to kind of try to get stuff out of the way of the engineers so they can do the the hard work. These kinds of I, I I'm kind of a addict for to, of tools like these and and retools one of those tools that gives you superpowers. Oh wow! Okay, I will I will check it out. I'm definitely like always geeking out about low code and and no code options myself as a noob dev. So this is very very cool. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Now, for folks who are listening that maybe haven't had a plan- chance to play with Descript yet and want to, or you kind of talked about scaling the team, so maybe you're going to be hiring soon. Where should they go to find out more? Go to Descript.com and we have a, a free version of the app that you can use for up to three hours of, of voice audio. And it's a fully featured podcast production tool. So really, if this, at this point, if you're making podcasts, it's, I think, obviously, I think, but uh, very strongly the best thing out there. Um, very powerful <laughs> and uh, easy to use. So hope you'll check it out. Yeah. And uh, for the record, I can say it is awesome. We have another podcast, Techish, that I host, and uh, we use Descript to edit that. So yeah, very cool. Okay, then. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for being on Product on Radio. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into Product Hunt Radio. I've got a favor to ask you. Will you take a minute to review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us right now? Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, share the podcast with your friends on Twitter and tag a guest you'd like to hear in a future episode. See you soon.